The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today's episode of Disability Matters has been previously recorded. Please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is Joyce Bender. I am so excited that we have been celebrating National Epilepsy Month. As you all know, this is very important to me, as I am a woman living with epilepsy, but it's also... This year, the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And throughout the year, I have been bringing on disability rights leaders that have made a difference. And wait till you talk to the person I have on today. Wait till you hear him. I love him. I love this man. He is a Pittsburgh and a national treasure. He's been working in our field since 1970. He lives here in Pittsburgh. How about this? There's even a place in Pittsburgh known as the Condolucci Hill that was featured in Life magazine. How about that? He's an author. He's worked with the University of Pittsburgh and Robert Morris University Graduate School of Business. He has received tons and tons of awards He is the CEO of CLASS, the largest disability-specific not-for-profit agency in southwestern Pennsylvania. I love him. He's my friend. We're proud that we can say El Condolucci is here in Pittsburgh, the CEO of the Community Living and Support Services. El, welcome to the show. Oh, Joyce, uh, thanks so much for this, uh, this really high honor. Uh, I, uh, I was so excited about the, the possibilities of uh, spending some time with you and sharing ideas and kind of kicking around some things, and I'm and, uh, just so happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. You know, I've known, everyone knows Al if you're in Pittsburgh, but you know what? Nationally, people know Al, but he is just, just, a great person, but how about El Condolucci, that there's a Condolucci Hill? <laughs> I have to tell you, there isn't a Bender Hill. I mean, that is amazing. As I mentioned, it was even mentioned in Life magazine, mm-hmm. so we all have to know. Everyone has to know, how the heck did that happen? Uh, well, well, uh, it is, uh, uh, thanks for, for asking. It really is, uh, you know, part of... Uh, uh, my DNA, and it really goes all the way back, of course, to uh, like many of us with uh, our our forefathers who sort of made their way uh, to the United States. And you know, my uh, family, um, like most others, immigrated here in uh, the early 1900s. My grandfather made his way uh, to uh, to Pittsburgh in 1915, coming from a little town in southern Italy, down by the toe of, of Italy, if you look at it on a map called, the little town was called Fagnana Castel, and my grandfather uh, was, lived there, and he worked as a goat herder, but he had a cousin who came to the United States a couple years ahead of uh, him, and his, this cousin kept on urging him to, to, to come to America, so my, grand, my grandfather did, and made his way to Pittsburgh. Um, his, his cousin helped him get situated. Uh, finding a place to live on the hillside in a little town called McKee's Rocks. It's just about six, seven miles outside of Pittsburgh. And helped grandfather, uh, grandfather's name was Antonio, helped him get situated and started in, in, in community. And, and so um, grandpa and grandma started their family and lived in this little homestead on the hillside there in, in McKee's Rocks. And, and the family grew. 
Uh, soon there were nine children, and as the family got bigger, Grandpa was looking for ways that he could, you know, subs, you know, could uh, subsidize his meager income. And so he got permission from a doctor who owned the land right above the home that Grandpa was renting. It was just a little, you know, hill. Uh, he got permission to keep goats up there and to get his garden started. And so he did. And as my dad and his brothers and sisters came of age, they would go up on the hill with Grandpa and take care of the goats and take care of the garden. And soon as they became young men and young women, my uncle and aunts, they decided they wanted to live on the hill. So they made an arrangement with the doctor who, who, bought, who, who, uh, who let them use the hilltop, and they bought four acres. And the very first thing they did, Joyce, this was around 1938, 39. The first thing they did was uh, build a home for Grandpa right near the goat shed. And then they built homes for each other. So when I was born, there were eight Condalusi families who lived up on this hill. And today, I'm proud to say that we have 17 families that live up on, on the hill. I moved up there uh, after I graduated from college in the early 70s. And uh, so it's just been a wonderful, you know, Joyce, uh, Pittsburgh is a, is a town of, you know, families, deep families, ethnic families. And so our story is, uh, is not all that rare. But many other places, it really is, and I get a lot of questions about it. But there's not a better place to be raised than in the bosom of your extended family, huh? Oh, I can't imagine what Christmas Eve is like. <laughs> there must Wonderful be a lot thought. of fish, a lot of bacala. I Absolutely. can't imagine what it's like. What? That is so great. And yet, yeah. you know what? Across the country, I've got to tell you, Pittsburgh, I mean, I love Pittsburgh. I'm from Pittsburgh. But mm -hmm. there is no place I can think of like Pittsburgh when it comes mm -hmm. to this family, yes. ethnic, uh, yes. work ethic. I mean, it's just amazing how that is in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and here's a great example, and I know you're right because... Uh, my grandpa, Saletti, when he moved mm -hmm. here, same thing. He built mm -hmm. his house, and then across the street was uh, his son, and then across mm -hmm. the street was his daughter, and then uh, my father had his garage, right? I mean, it's amazing yes. how... Yes. That is, but it's not just with Italians. I mean, this is... Absolutely, absolutely. There's so many beautiful uh, ethnic stories, um, uh, all, really all over our country, but certainly the Pittsburgh region is really rich with that kind of, uh, that kind of legacy. Well, listen, um, you've spent your life in disability as a great yeah. leader, and you've yeah. done so much for so many people. So mm -hmm. my question is, what, what happened to get you involved? Yeah, yeah. You know, Joyce, that, that, that's also a story of family. You know, uh, growing up on, on Condalusi Hill, um, my best friend was my next door neighbor, my cousin Carrie. Carrie and I were the same age. We were, uh, uh, we were always together. And of course, there were lots of other Condalusi children. You know, you had eight families when I was growing up there. So, you know, I had eight mothers and eight fathers and literally 40 brothers and sisters, all my cousins who were just like brothers and sisters. And my cousin Carrie was my closest because we were age peers. We, we, we were born the same year. And um, uh, as, I, as I came to discover, Joyce, that Carrie had Down syndrome. And I, I, I only learned about her Down syndrome when Carrie didn't go to school. When I came of age and my cousins and I came of age to go to school, Carrie didn't go to school with us. And I remember, you know, we'd go to school, we'd walk down over the hill and, you know, to a, the local uh, uh, elementary school. And, and then we would walk home and there would be Carrie sort of hanging out, just um, uh, playing, uh, you know, on the hill. And, and so I asked my mom, I said, Mom, what's, what's the deal here? And my mom says, oh, honey, Carrie uh, has, a, has a disability. It's called Down syndrome. And uh, the schools just don't know how to teach her. So she doesn't go to school. And, and out of curiosity, I said, well, Mom, you mean if I got Down syndrome from Carrie, I wouldn't have to go to school either? You know, I was looking for an out from school. But for me, it was really a very, the very first sort of introduction 
to how some people saw, and in this case the schools, saw Carrie as different. Up on the hill, Carrie was just another Condalusi. But when Carrie and I would go off the hill, I saw how people treated her. I saw how people taunted her or maybe made fun of her, didn't talk with her, didn't include her in things. And Joyce, that was for me the um, uh, the, the the you know the the start point. I, I knew as a young boy that I that it wasn't right that people generally in the community didn't treat carry with respect and i wanted to do something about that of course in my young years as a as a kid i would fight with i would fight with people who were mean to carry but then when i got old enough i started talking to my counselors and you know got got became interested in learning more about disability issues and um you know as they say the rest is history i went off to school and studied uh, um psychology and disability issues and uh, and when i graduated in 1970 Started working in the field and have been at have been at it since then. Wow, and that is amazing! And, and was she your cousin? Is that what you said? My first cousin, yeah, lived I right next door. Cousin. We hung around together, and you know, interestingly enough, Joyce, as 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 we as we know, and as your listeners well know, that um, disability is interwoven into you know everything. That at, at, at whether you have a disability or not, whether somebody in your family has a disability or not right now, we all know that that will change. That sooner or later, everybody uh, gets a personal experience with disabilities. And, you know, in my situation, growing up with Carrie um, at a very early age, uh, experiencing that. But then later on, my dad, you know, came down with Parkinson's. Um, and, you know, we ended up providing all the supports for my dad until he passed on and he lived probably 15 years with Parkinson's and and so you know every one of us is going to have some kind of an experience in some way with disability so it is a universal phenomena it is not something that's separated out or should be perceived as some fringe issue it is just a natural part of the human equation that's why I always tell people <clears throat> you know if one in five people have disabilities that first of all that's known one in five known it could right. be one in four it could be less than that but it isn't just that person with a disability that person has a mother father sister brother exactly partner parent whatever and trust me they know what yes. goes on they know what goes on with companies. They know what goes on really with businesses and how, you know, they treat people with disabilities. And just as you said, it impacts so many of us. Absolutely. Uh, and today I'm proud to say that, you know, we have found employment, not mm-hmm. for many, because at Bender, you know, we find people for jobs in IT, yes. engineering, finance. But we have found employment for two different people with Down syndrome. And mm. I am a believer everyone deserves a job. Everyone Absolutely. deserves a job. And I know you feel the same way. Absolutely, Joyce. And in fact, you know, the work you've done has been has been so seminal um, in not just getting people jobs, but in raising awareness and, and just really, you know, broadening the sort of the message that work matters, that work is so important in our culture, that it not only brings us money or ec- economy, but it also really creates our, our self-identity. We, we, you know, the very first question that people ask after they learn your name is, what do you do? You know, we get, we get interpreted in our society by virtue of what we do in our job. And so if, if you're, uh, because of a disability, if you're uh, edited from that experience, then the devaluation that follows, not just the actual devaluation of not having, not making a paycheck or not having an economy, but also the, the uh, indirect devaluation of not be seeing or being seen as worthwhile 
is so prominent and powerful. Yet in our society today, Joyce, and you know this better than, than anyone, uh, close to 76% of people with disabilities, all types of disabilities, in the working age of between 16 and 60 are either unemployed or underemployed. So it's, it's a huge, huge problem uh, that we need to turn serious attention to. Yeah, we do, and we're going to talk more about that as soon as we come back for break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with El Condalusi. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Today's episode of Disability Matters has been previously recorded. Please enjoy today's episode. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Al Condalusi, the CEO of Community Living and Support Services, known as CLASS, right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which brings me to that question, Al. As you well know, you've been known forever as UCP, United mm-hmm. Cerebral Palsy, mm-hmm. and over the past several years had a name change. Yes. Um, how, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Yeah, yeah, that's a, you know, thank you for, for uh, asking that, uh, Joyce, because, you know, our, my history and certainly the history of this organization class um, goes all the way back to 1951 when we were founded by families uh, who had children with cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, those families were being told back in that period of time, and I know this, I know this very well from my own story with my cousin Carrie, that families were told to put their children away, that there really wasn't anything that they would be able to do, there wasn't, they were going to be a burden, um, that families should, uh, should uh, institutionalize their children uh, at an early age. These families who founded uh, our organization um, did not buy that script, uh, did, not, uh, did not listen to that narrative. Instead, they said, we're going, you know, our children should be just a natural part of the community. We're going to work toward that happening. Those families aligned with United Cerebral Palsy, UCP, back in 1951 and formed uh, UCP of Pittsburgh. Um, and 
UCP, United Cerebral Palsies, are affiliates um, located all over, actually, the world now. Uh, UCP is developing affiliates in Canada and Australia and other places. Uh, so Pittsburgh was, you know, the UCP affiliate. When I joined the organization in 1973, it was known as UCP at Pittsburgh. But a couple things began to happen over the following ensuing years, Joyce. Um, one was that people began to perceive that the only people we supported um, were folks with cerebral palsy. And actually, that wasn't true. We were supporting people with all types of disabilities, uh, with, uh, you know, epilepsy, with uh, developmental disabilities, with spina bifida, with spinal cord injuries, with traumatic brain injuries. And so um, since we were becoming more eclectic in who we were providing supports for uh, here in Pittsburgh, we, um, you know, began to petition that we would um, bifurcate our name. We would still be UCP, but we would add class. So we would be UCP class, uh, UCP slash class. And class was really the identification of what we did, right? We were providing community supports, community living uh, services and supports uh, to people with all types of disabilities. And so we continued in 1995, we added class to our name and we were serving people under the name UCP class. And then as we moved into the latter part of the 2000s, around 2009, um, we began to uh, look at um, dropping the UCP. Um, we felt that it was confusing to people, that they saw us as just a one-act uh, group. The other thing, too, Joyce, and you can really appreciate this uh, being from Pittsburgh, um, in Pittsburgh, we have a very large health care provider called UPMC, and UPMC stands for University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, but when people, but they're known as UPMC. So when people would hear UCP, UPMC, they would just confuse those two things, and they thought that our organization was a part of the UPMC health system. And of course, we're not a medical model. We're a social model. We really help people get homes in the community, get jobs, get, you know, build relationships, do things in the greater community. So when people started confusing us with UPMC, our board felt that it was time to really become fully uh, autonomous. And so it was a very amicable uh, split from UCP, and UCP is still out there providing services around the country, and we're still, you know, uh, aligned and friendly with UCP, but we've become autonomous, really now just identifying ourselves as class, community living and support services. Yeah, it, which means that you can service people with all disabilities. Absolutely. And also, one of the other things about UCP is they're, they have a geographical base, and that is they are affiliates with uh, geography. And so um, as UCP of Pittsburgh, we were really just held to just Pittsburgh as our service area. So when we became autonomous uh, from, from UCP and became just class, not only could we serve folks with different situations, but we could serve folks um, in different parts of not only Pennsylvania, but anywhere in really anywhere in the country. Now we obviously don't have plans to to be a national company, but we have broadened our service into other counties around southwestern PA. We've gone and provided services all as far north as Erie, and so it really does give us a little bit more latitude and a little bit more uh, broadening of uh, and it, and it identifies what we do um, more than who we do it for. Oh, well, I think that's awesome because that even offers more opportunities to more people to get support and services. And I do have a question about that. Is yes. that all ages or, or, or is there a definite cutoff? No, it is all ages, uh, Joyce. We provide uh, supports to families. We provide, of course, supports to men and women, adults, and we have also broadened our supports into the elder care arena. 
Um, and so we're supporting um, elders with chronic situations or disabilities that come on through aging uh, chronicity. And um, and so you know we really can span um, uh, we can span the the, the age range. Uh, however, our real focus, Joyce, um, is in uh, relationships and social capital. And we are convinced that one of the most important things for all people, and certainly for people who are experiencing disabilities, whether those disabilities are congenital or acquired later in life, like my dad's Parkinson's, that the most important people thing for all people is relationships. And so we also know that when people experience disabilities, they sometimes lose relationships or have more difficulty building relationships. And so our focus uh, at class for both children, adults, and elders is on building relationships and building social capital. Oh, that is awesome. Well, I want to tell you something, Al. You know, I meet a lot of people that need another service that uh, you provide, which is your personal attendant program. Yeah. Uh, how many people work for you in that regard? How many people do you serve? How does that work at class? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking that, Joyce. In fact, it is really one of our biggest parts of our service uh, system. Um, uh, personal attendant service um, are non-medical supports to individuals in their homes. Uh, includes helping people get up in the morning, helping people get bathed, helping people get dressed, helping people get prepared for their day, uh, meals, helping people with shopping, helping people get off to work, and the other kinds of things that they might need to do. And so we've gotten involved in providing personal attendant supports uh, since the uh, mid 90s when we bid on a um, on a, on 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 the program in Pennsylvania today Joyce we serve close to 300 uh people in and around western Pennsylvania mostly in Allegheny County but in Westmoreland and Washington County and Butler County and some of the uh, surrounding counties to Allegheny um, we're, we're supporting about 300 uh, folks, and we have a staff complement of about 450 staff members um, who uh, are either directly or indirectly uh, a part of that service system. And so it is a, um, it is a very large program. It is an in-home program. So we send attendants, we dispatch attendants to go provide uh, supports to people who are eligible for the service. Um, and this includes um, folks between the ages of uh, 18 on up. And, um, and the, you know, the eligibility process is uh, related to uh, both income eligibility and then, of course, uh, direct support need eligibility. Uh, but once a person is eligibilized, um, they can choose class as their service provider. And then there's two ways we can provide the service choice. One is we can just dispatch an attendant to somebody's home um, and have them do whatever that person might need uh, in their home. The other is that we can help the, uh, the uh, person with a disability find and hire their own attendant, and we provide, in those cases, the fin financial intermediary for them. So we'll help write checks, we'll take the taxes out for their worker, you know, we'll do those kinds of things uh, for those individuals. So that's a question that I have. Mm -hmm. We meet people all the time. Yes. Um, let's say they have cerebral palsy or some other uh, yes. muscular dystrophy, something neurodegenerative, uh, right. and they need a personal attendant. Yes. And they have a job. And because they have a job, they can't get a personal attendant. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do in that situation? Yes. You know, that is, a, um, uh, that is really a vexing uh, problem that still it continues to this day. These services that we offer are in-home personal services. And as you just outlined, um, you know, people might need these very same supports or maybe similar supports 
in a job situation, right? Now, um, the, uh, the, a person with a disability, say something like cerebral palsy, who needs an attendant to help them on their job, um, they can hire somebody to provide this kind of support for them. But the um, but unfortunately, the attendant care program in Pennsylvania does not reach out into job settings. It only reaches out into in-home, either apartment or a person's home settings. And so the attendant um, is not um, able to be reimbursed to help somebody provide attendant supports for them uh, on on the job. So the assumption, and I think it's an erroneous assumption, is that a person working would be able to take some of their pay and hire an attendant. Now, you and I both know that that is uh, that's a pipe dream because, you know, it's, attendants are expensive. Attendant supports, you know, can run up around $18, $19 an hour. And so if a person needs an attendant uh, uh, in a job setting and they need the attendant for maybe two hours to help them at lunchtime and maybe to get to the bathroom, um, you know, that that might cost them forty, forty five dollars. Um, they may only be making, you know, uh, you know, fifty, a hundred dollars for you know the, the work they're doing that particular day, depending upon their hourly hourly salary. So it is a vexing, it is a vexing problem. Add on to it, Joyce, one other thing, and that is when somebody works, and you and I have talked about this um, privately in many conversations that we've had, but if somebody's working. Um, they, um, um, you know, that, that affects their income and their income affects their eligibility for a service like attendant care. And so making a paycheck might put somebody out of the eligibility level of receiving attendant care, even in their home. So many people with disabilities, it's a disincentive to work, especially if they need the attendant service, because if they start earning, it puts them out of the um, income eligibility range uh, for attendant care. So it's a double-edged sword, and folks with disabilities get punished, and they can get punished twice. Um, uh, if they want to go out and work, if they are, are interested in working, and we talked about how important work is just a few minutes ago. So it, this is an area we've got to do some policy change in, Joyce. And I know you've been very active in your long career um, in uh, policy issues, both on a national level as well as a state level. But these are areas that we need to, uh, we need to address. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible because we've had people that had to move to other states. We've had people that just could not, would not be able to work. Uh, And, and you know, uh, it's just so frustrating, but that's why we all, we all need to work on this. You know, this is not something in the disability community that we can just forget about. This is something we all need to work on, and I certainly appreciate everything you've done uh, Al, as you have spoken up about this. Well, we've continued to advocate, uh, Joyce, uh, around, especially around the employment disincentives, um, both income eligibility if somebody's earning a paycheck, as well as the utilization of, of uh, uh, attendant services that are designed for in-home to have those attendant services available for, you know, a work setting as well. We've right. got more work to do. Yes. We do. So, you know, you know when you were talking earlier about unemployment, and you know I'm on a crusade for yes. the employment of people with disabilities. Here's my question. Your opinion, why do you think we've had this struggle for, for 25 years and actually beyond? beyond why do you yes. think that is? Well, certainly, I, th- I think that uh, what we had just talked about a minute ago, the disincentives um, uh, are a part of the, of the problem. But I think that the problem is really goes further than that. I think the narrative 
and the mental model that people have um, in uh, our society, and this is this includes employers in our society, is that people with disabilities are a liability, that they will uh, be costly uh, in a job situation. They'll make insurance rates go up. They'll they won't be able to do as many things as a person who does not have a disability. They'll be limited. And I think that limited liability mentality and narrative, Joyce, is really at the core of the unemployment uh, uh, reality um, uh, for people with disabilities. And, and, and some of that is just your know, cultural narrative some of that is just bunk. It's not. It's not true. It's not accurate, um, and yet um, it still pervades. So, in some ways, you know, part of our challenge, I believe, all of us that are listening to this uh, this show, all of us that are that that purport to be disability advocates, is we've got to change the narrative. We've got to change um, the perception that if somebody's experiencing a disability, it is a liability, and consequently that person can't do much or can't do anything, uh, for that matter. Uh, that that's not true. That's you know you've proven how not true that is in the work that you've done with uh, Bender and Associates in terms of the thousands of people you've helped get jobs. So. The narrative has got to change, and I think one of the places where that that has to start is in schools with kids with um, with, with inclusive education because as the next generation of kids grow up in schools side by side, kids that are experiencing disabilities, I think they will develop a new narrative. you know when we were growing up, Joyce. You hardly saw people with disabilities. They they weren't in our, the public uh, viewpoint. We we didn't see them anywhere. And then that's obviously not only because of uh, institutional uh, realities, but also because of that uh, architectural barriers that people with disabilities weren't present. Uh, so our narrative, our narrative, those of us in our age cohort, are, are have a skewed narrative. But I think the real future is in changing the narrative of the youngsters. When we can get kids with and without disabilities in schools together, side by side, in clubs, doing things together, socializing, building relationships, that will begin to change this narrative of limitation and narrative of inability to do things, um, which I think is at the core of the unemployment issue. Yeah, you know what? I have to ask you this. How, I mean, this is terrible, but I read this book called The Ugly Laws about how there was a time in the early 1900s that if you were seen out on the street, you, uh, you know, this had been a municipal uh, bill that went through that if you were seen out on the streets, it was unsightly and you could be arrested, then let's move forward to when I was a child. I went to Mm -hmm. the Canfield Fair. I never went in this, but I still remember the freak show. Yes. Now, something I noticed these things all have in common is appearance. And I just wonder, what do you think? Do you think that some of this uh, not hiring people, could it be based on appearance? Oh, I, I think that that certainly plays in. You know, when you were talking about the ugly laws, if you will, uh, the sordid history that we know is out there uh, in terms of how people with disabilities have been treated, um, and you started the show talking about the 25th uh, year anniversary of the ADA. Well, this is also the 40th anniversary of the Pennhurst decision in Pennsylvania. And as you know, Pennhurst, a large institution uh, over in the Philadelphia area, was uh, finally, uh, 40 years ago, uh, finally uh, a dissent decree was was uh, initiated by Judge Broderick to literally begin the whole institutionalization agenda. And part of the reason why people were institutionalized were because of things like the ugly laws and eugenics and other really sordid kinds of things that that literally separated people 
from the uh, you know from the public circle. Um, now, you know the point that you were just getting to at the end. I think still today. You know, appearance issues do create gaps, and uh, I think the younger millennials are are changing some of the attitudes on that, Joyce. But again, when you we take the age cohort of the baby boomers, you know, folks like us who who grew up in the you know in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s. Um, that that um, we you know we were you know folks there was a clear line of distinction and differentiation between people with disabilities and the rest of us if you will and those things they die hard those mental models those attitudes those perceptions um, they die hard and again I hearken back to this notion of you know the uh, the kids the Millennials and uh, the 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 youngsters of today. The more we can have people included into the mix as a part of the public square, as a part of society at large, I think the more we break those uh, those uh, ugly chains of appearance and those ugly chains of uh, perceiving uh, people with disabilities as limited. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to believe uh, that there were such things. But just as you said, even when I grew up, you know, uh, different disabilities like epilepsy, for example, oh, people would never admit that. Never, right, ever. Right, Never, Well, if you ever. did, yeah, you were at risk of being discriminated against, yes. Yeah. So, Al, um, I have a question for you. You've yeah. done so much in your life. Well, what do you hope your legacy will be? Hmm. Oh, Joyce, um, you know, as I, I, I still feel like I got a lot of, you know, juice in the engine and still have lots of things that, uh, that I want to continue to do. But, uh, but as I look back at, at some of the victories, if you will, some of the achievements, not just with me, but really with us, with our, our movement, um, the, the one thing that I really think was, was, just incredible game changer was in 1984 uh, here in Pennsylvania when we passed the attendant care legislation and Judge uh, or uh, Governor Thornburg signed uh, that measure. That was in 1984. But uh, you know we worked for a lot of years on on really trying to position the notion of attendant care being such an important service need that really uh, propped people up, people with significant disabilities, to be able to be, um, to be in the community. And, um, and so I, I think attendant care is really, I, I, I think, one of the, one of the greatest uh, um, you know, game changers to get people into communities. And I think what lies ahead of us, Joyce, and, and you know, which I, I still want to work on, is that I think the key game changer to help people not just be in a community, but to become of a community, is really found in social capital and relationships. And so I've been trying to speak out on that. I had a book come out last year on social capital. Um, I do a lot of speaking, uh, you know, my website. Um, I have a lot of resources on social capital. And I did a TED Talk on this just a couple uh, years ago. Uh, if you go to my website, alcondalusi.com, you, um, you can see that TED Talk and some of the resources we're putting up in helping people uh, build relationships. So, so I think attendant care, helping people become in the community, and what I hope will be the legacy of the future is really uh, the social capital and relationships that really help people become of their communities. You know what? I'm glad you brought up that website. Um, what is your website at class? What is that website? Yeah, that, that website is classcommunity.org. All one word, classcommunity.org. And I bring and, uh, that up because it's this time of the year that people think about giving back, making a contribution, mm -hmm. um, and wow, what a great organization class uh, is. Yeah. So yeah. if you're thinking about making a contribution, 
What is that website again? It's uh, www.classcommunity.org. Classcommunity.org. I would yeah. encourage you to think about that over the holiday when you're making your contribution to give back. And with that, if someone wants to buy one of your books, do they mm-hmm. go to your website? You can go both to the classcommunity.org website or right to my website, alcondalusi.org. Or if you just Google my name, a number of other bookstores come up. Let me just share uh, on my books, Joyce, just one last thing. You were talking about contributions. I've written eight books uh, over uh, since 1990 um, till just this past year, my latest book coming out called The Macro Change Handbook. But in those eight books that I've written, Joyce, all the royalties on those books, they don't come to me. They come to class community. So um, if you buy a book, and the books are really modestly priced, you can get them as e-readers, you can get them, um, you know, in in in, in paperback form. Uh, but those books, uh, all the royalties come back uh, to our work at Class Community. Oh, that is so awesome! And why am I not surprised? Why <laughs> am I not surprised? And you know what, El Condalusi, he is humble. He is really a brilliant man. You should really look into those books and his TED Talk uh, because, you know, we one problem we have in this country is we don't seem to have our own history. You know, like in other communities, people will say, oh, um, this senator, you know, he's big in the African-American community. Mm, right. Or this person, they're big right. in the uh, uh, Hispanic community. And then when you go to school, where do you read about Justin Dart or any of the right. disability leaders? Right. We right. really need to do something about that. I mean, you know, I'll have yeah. people here in college internships, and then I'll say, well, what did you learn the most? And they'll say that I didn't know anything about disability history. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Very you know, sad. the void is huge. It really is. And, you know, even even the leaders like Tom Harkin and, and Tony Coelho, I know dear friends of yours um, who, um, you know, were pioneers in Congress on disability issues. Um, you know, they're, they're hardly remembered. People just don't see, they don't connect those dots. Yeah, some of them don't know them at all unless they're in the disability exactly. community. Yes, well, Al, before we end the show here, two last questions. First, you've done so much. I mean, wow, look at everything you've done. But, you know, it, what would you say you're the proudest of? Oh, boy. You know, I mean, uh, certainly um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't indicate how proud I am of, of my own family, my three children, and, you know, uh, their their contributions in the world, the things that they're doing. I, I, I you know, I, I think all of us, uh, you know, when we look at our, our most potent uh, impact, it's usually found with our families. And so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly so proud so proud of, of, of them. All, all three of my children are, are really active uh, civically. They're active in, uh, you know, in uh, uh, the disability community in some way or, or, or another. So I'm very proud of that. I'm also really proud, Joyce, of, of, of the organization that we've built here. I, I've been here 45 years now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an organization that I think has, has really done amazing things. Uh, um, our board of directors, um, we have a majority of our board are, are folks with disabilities. And so uh, every conversation that we have uh, as a nonprofit organization is really about, um, you know, about uh, the folks we serve and what we need uh, to do next. Uh, and so I'm, I'm proud of that. And, and I'm also really proud to have an opportunity to share ideas like we're doing today uh, on your show and, um, you know, in presentations that I get the opportunity to make, um, uh, you know, around the country, uh, even around the world. I was invited to spend some time in Australia just last uh, year and had an opportunity, spent a month sharing ideas all around Australia in relationship to building more inclusive communities and and having, you know, uh, all people be celebrated, um, you know, uh, for being a part of our 
or our tribe rather than for being celebrated on what they've achieved. I mean, all people matter. All people matter. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. So, Al, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I, I mean, the, uh, maybe the last, and 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 certainly cer- certainly staying in, staying consistent with the conversation that we've had today. Um, I, I really would would invite um, the readers to look more closely at this notion of social capital and of relationships, and how important that is, just generally for for people, but also how that that really is still a void in the lives of many people with disabilities. I I know even with my dad, Joyce, when he was, when his Parkinson's was unfolding, a lot of people began to back away and people that were, you know, active with my dad began to sort sort of keep away. And they would, I would see them in the community and they would ask how my dad's doing. And I'd say, why don't you go visit? And they'd say, oh, we don't want to bother him. You know, he's suffering. We feel bad for him. You know, that kind of stuff leads to social isolation. And social isolation is lethal. It's a lethal issue. When people become socially isolated, Joyce, they're at risk of dying. And so I, I, I think I would really, the listeners, if you can dig around, look at this notion of social capital and relationships, because therein, I believe, lie the answers to a lot of the questions that you and I raised in this conversation today. Well, I hope you will do what he asked, alcondelucy.com, and I believe that. I so much believe that because it's the same thing with young people with disabilities. When they are excluded, terrible things happen, including bully side. It's a terrible thing to be excluded socially. So I, I agree with you. We need to talk about that more. And, again, I would urge everyone, go to that website, read more about it. So, Al, thank you so much for being with us today. Joyce, it's been my honor. You know, I love what you do. I love this show. Um, So um, let's just all keep pushing. All right, let's do that. And we end every show with a quote and that we believe has an impact on all people and everything we do. And the quote today is when Ralph Waldo Emerson said, they can conquer who believe they can. And I just hope people with disabilities will take that to heart. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 